0: This morning we gather and it's all about contending for the faith, the once for all faith that Jude talks about as we gather together and hopefully to encourage one another and build up one another. And there's a lot of ways to contend for the faith. In World War II, there was a Dutch watchmaker. And what he did was they knew that the Germans were taking, the Nazis were taking Jewish people and they were killing them. They knew that was going on. And they began, this Jewish watchmaker began a resistance. And he and his family, what they did was they built a false wall inside of their house. And what they would do is they would hide Jewish people. And after a point in time, uh, they were captured. They were found out. They found out what was going on, so they put him in a concentration camp. The father basically was in a concentration camp for about ten diet days, and then he died. And, and the rest of the family members, uh, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, they were in there for about ten months. And Corey Ten Boom eventually got out on, on a clerical error. I mean, ten months in a concentration camp. And then what she would do, what Corey Ten Boom did, was she would go around and she would tour the country. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she would go around the country and she would tell the story of her life. She would tell the story of what it was like for a Christian to be in a concentration camp during this resistance, contending for the faith, the once for all faith, and telling her story. And a lot of times what she would do is she would use a piece of tapestry. And the piece of tapestry looks something that you might see right here. This is the backside of the tapestry. And when she would tell her story and when she would show this piece of tapestry, this is what she would tell everybody about the work of God. She would say this. Although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, like you see right there, I know that on the other side of the embroidery is a crown. And then what she would do is she would turn this piece of tapestry over, and this is what it would look like. It would look like this crown. And this, this is her way of affirming to people the mysterious mighty hand of a sovereign Lord, when our, knots, when our lives feel like they're all knotted together in the backside of a piece of tapish and you can't figure out what's going on and it just looks like this jumbled mess, that what God is openly doing in, in his mysterious, sovereign way, God is taking care of us. And the end of the story may not be the way that we want it to be, but God will take care of us and he will lead us and he will guide and direct us. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of go back to what Lois Lanham talked about last week, this this idea of a pain and suffering in our in our lives. Lois Lanham introduced that theme last week. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go and I want to look at a guy who, when you look at his life in the Bible, Genesis chapter 37 to 50, when you look at his life, when you look at the life of Joseph, you see all of these knots and you're like, wait, how in the world is is God going to work in this situation? For 13 plus years, maybe up to 20 years, his life looked like a giant jumble of knots. And yet God was able to take all of those knots and form them into something wonderful and beautiful. And what I want to do is I want to look at this, this topic of suffering, again, pain and suffering, through the life of Joseph. Now, this is the way we're going to do it, is I'm going to presume that you know about the life of Joseph. I'm not going to go back, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to walk you through the story. That's what I want to do. Because when you look at the life of Joseph, there's a lot of sources, there's a lot of ways that he suffered. And I want to kind of pick that apart and draw some things out because they're parallels to our lives. And then what I want to end is I want to go back to the life of Joseph and show how he responded all of those years in the midst of this suffering. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. So, so let me just ask the Lord's blessing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. I ask that through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that you would guide and direct us, that you would reveal yourself to us in a mighty and powerful way. Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The, the narrative about Joseph begins in Genesis chapter 37. As you recall, he's kind of the golden child of his father Jacob. And, he, and we know that because he's he's been given this ornamented robe, this wonderful robe that kind of makes him stick out in front of all of his brothers. And he has this, this wonderful relationship with his God where, where he's kind of set a higher than all the other brothers and While the brothers were out at one particular time going out taking care of the sheep, which is their responsibility, he's home with his dad. He's kind of hanging out with his dad, trying to maybe take care of his dad. I'm not sure exactly why, but he's hanging out with his dad. And the father, Jacob, finally says, you know what? I want you to go check up on the on your brothers because they've been out there taking care of the sheep. So that's what he does. He follows his father's instruction. He goes out and and he's going out to look for his brothers, find out where they're taking care of the sheep. And, and as he goes out, the, the brothers see him from afar, and they watch him walking up, and they begin to conspire. Like, here comes that dreamer again. What are we going to do with him? Why don't we just kill him? Let's just get rid of him. Let's see what's going to happen with this dream. Let's just kill him. Well, they didn't do that. They ended up throwing him down in a pit. And when he's in this pit, he was pleading for his life. He's saying, "Come on, guys, I'm here on blood. We had, come on, what are you doing? Let me out." Rather than kill him, there's some Midianite slave traders that come along and that basically sell him to some Midianite slave traders. And all of a sudden, at the age of 17, his life has radically changed. It's radically been altered at the age of 17. Such is the nature of pain and suffering. See, I think the first thing we learned about Joseph and the idea of pain and suffering, the source is this it comes unexpectedly. It just sometimes shows up. Maybe it's the phone call you received this week. Maybe it's the pink slip. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's the the information. It's something that comes into your life in a radical way that radically alters your life and the way that you would live. It would have been so much easier for Joseph if God would maybe give him a dream and said, In this dream, listen, Joseph, I want you to know that your brothers are going to kidnap you and they're going to take you to a foreign land of Egypt. God doesn't work that way. Pain and suffering many times simply arrives at our door. I quoted this verse last week, James chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. The word encounter, it has the idea of just showing up. It means to be ambushed or to fall into. In Luke chapter 10, there's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember what happened to the Good Samaritan? He falls into the hands of the robbers. All of a sudden, his life is radically altered. He's doing the right things, and his life is radically altered. And that's what the idea of encounter means. Our lives are forever changed. Let me ask you, how do you respond when it's the phone call, it's the this or that? How will you respond? Will you buckle? Will you give up? Will you give up on your faith or will you hang in there and move ahead? And that's what confronted Joseph. He's now a captive. He's been taken to a foreign land, Egypt. Where he's probably on the way over there with these Midianite people, no doubt he was probably mistreated, mishandled, because he's a captive, he's being kidnapped, taken to a foreign land. But he ends up being a household servant for a man by the name of a Pharaoh's guard. He's a household servant in his household right now. And all of a sudden, this 17-year-old finds himself on a foreign land, and he's all alone, which reminds us of the second. Part of suffering. See, not only does it come upon us suddenly, but it involves loss. Think about what Joseph lost. He lost his family. He lost his religious life. He lost his culture. He lost his future. He lost all of those things. There was an incredible sense of loss. Everything that was important to him, everything that he counted on, everything that was right there for him was stripped of him. The family that he loved and cared for brutally just said, listen, we don't want to have anything to do with his brothers. He cared for his brothers. He loved his brothers. Yeah, we, we find that all the time in families of brokenness. But I would never do something that radical to my brother. All of a sudden, he realized that he's all alone. Financial security, job, religious life, all of that had been taken from him. If that happened to you, what would you do? Would you keep moving on? Would you give up? What would you do? So he did what he did. He worked hard. He found himself as a slave in this household, and he worked hard. When you look at the narrative, and you go back and look at from Genesis chapter 37 to 50, you you notice there's a phrase that keeps coming up, and the phrase coming up says this, The Lord was with him. Over and over, you see this phrase coming up. And what Joseph did, he said, listen, I, I realize I know where I'm at. I'm a servant, I'm a slave, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the absolute best that I can to serve the Lord. And what Potiphar recognized, Pharaoh's guard, what he recognized that that God was blessing Joseph in a mighty and powerful way, that everything he did, he had success. And so the more that he gave him, the more success that Joseph had, because the Lord was with him and the Lord was blessing him and the Lord was giving him great favor. And maybe Joseph's thinking, wow, my life is turning around. I'm in a foreign land, I'm in Egypt. Not around my family. I don't know when I'm going to get home because I'm being held captive here. I can't just leave here. And so he continues to move forward in a foreign land. And then there's another twist to the story. As Joseph continues to minister and to serve, all of a sudden his life takes another dramatic change. He's working hard. He's serving hard. He's moving himself up. He's doing wonderful things and is blessing this household. And all of a sudden... Potiphar's wife catches a glimpse of him. And she recognizes that this guy's good looking, that he's handsome. And all of a sudden, she begins to pursue him and go after him and want him and desire him and to get alone with him and to sleep with him. You want to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace? This is what it is. And by the way, when you look at the story, I, I don't get the feeling that his wife, Potiphar's wife, is the kind of woman that you say no to. I'm wondering if this is something that she's probably done before. Maybe she's done this before. Nobody says no to Potiphar's wife. And so she continued. She was absolutely relentless. And Joseph, wanting to maintain his integrity, said, listen, no, I'm not going to do that. Your master's giving me everything. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sleep with you. Finally, she's fed up with it. She gets rid of all the slaves. She comes into the house, and she pursues him and grabs him and says, sleep with me today. And he says, no. And he runs out of the house, and she's standing there with his clothes. And I would imagine she's not happy with Joseph. A woman scorned is not a good thing. And she has radically been scorned. So now there's another problem. So she's standing there with his garment. Her husband comes home and says, by the way, this Hebrew that you brought here, he's trying to make sport of me. He's trying to sleep with me. He's trying to do something bad. Which brings us... To another aspect of pain and suffering, it comes upon us in a sudden way. There's loss, but a lot of time there's injustice. Maybe there's an injustice where you've been treated unjustly. Maybe you've been going around your life and doing everything the Lord wants you to do. You're your job, you're at school, and all of a sudden you're experiencing some kind of injustice. You're, you're experiencing pain and suffering. That's what's happening with with Joseph here. He's done nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, he's trying to do everything right, and now he's experiencing some kind of injustice. Or maybe you just feel like there's this sense of injustice. God, I just feel like this is unfair. I, I, I'm going to church. I, I'm doing all of it. I, I'm doing all of these things that you, why is this happening to me? What is going on in my life that you would allow this to come into my life? There's this sense of injustice that's happening to him. And it's a very, very serious offense in Joseph's life. So now Potiphar is forced to deal with Joseph. You ever wonder what he was mad about? The text says he was angry. You ever wonder what he was mad about? Was he mad? This is just kind of a side note. Was he mad at what Joseph had done in trying to sleep with her? Or did he realize the fact that this is the guy that God has been using to bless my life? I wonder if there's something, maybe beneath the story, don't know, can't tell, but something going on there where he realizes, man, the cash cow had died. And now I've got to do something. I've got to so he he does something. The warden grabs him and says, by the way, you're gonna go into prison. He throws him in prison. And he becomes a, a slave. So now Joseph is sold out by his own family. He's been unjustly accused of rape. He's in prison. How am I gonna get out? What's going to happen with me? What about this dream that I had? What is going on in my... And by the way, who is going to advocate for me? Who's going to fight for me? I'm on a foreign land. I'm all by myself. I have no one to help me. Come on. Lord, where are you? What's interesting is when you read the text and you read the narrative, it says sometime later, now, what does that mean sometimes? Well, we don't have a time frame. That, but Joseph is in prison, and he's doing whatever he can. He's taking care of these prisons. And all of a sudden, two more people add it to his responsibility. He's working for the warden. He's been lifted up, and the warden is saying, listen, you take care of all these people. And then a, a baker, the chief baker, and the chief cupbearer are brought into the prison. Now, these guys, they're working for Pharaoh. They're working for the king. What you don't want to do is when you are, are giving food and drink to the king, you don't want to mess that up. Because if you do, you're probably going to lose your life. Somehow, some way, they have offended the king. And all of a sudden, after some time, the chief cupbearer baker her have this dream. They each have the dream same night. They have this dream, and they, they bring the dream to to Joseph. And Joseph says, "Listen, do not interpretation belong to the Lord? I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the correct interpretation of them." And he interprets them both exactly the way that it happened. And the chief cupbearer is going to be restored to his position. That's the way that it was interpreted. And the baker is going to lose his life. So after he interprets this, this dream of both of them, and he knows that the chief cupbearer is going to get out. He says something really interesting to him. He probably begged of this life. Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. Notice what it says. The chief cupbearer, however, after this dream, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What's interesting is the text says this, he didn't remember and he forgot. It's almost like the narrative, the author of the narrative is bringing out a point. I wonder if Joseph, at this particular point in time, sometime he's laboring, he's thinking to himself, have I been forgotten? Have I, have I been forgotten? Which I think brings us to another element of the source of pain and suffering. It's not just loss. It's not the suddenness of it. It's not just the injustice. Sometimes we get to a point where we're going, God, man, I've been doing this for five years. I've been doing this for 10 years. i got a friend who's been suffering in a family issue for 15, 20 years. Maybe they get to the point and they go, well, how long, Lord? How long am I going to suffer? How long is this going to last in my life? Am I ever going to see the light of day? Have they thought that Maybe God has forgotten you in the situation that you're in. What's interesting, you go back and look at the text and look at the book of Psalms and, and look at people's lives like Moses and you look at David. Over and over, you hear them crying out, how long, Lord? Moses crying out, how long must I do this? David crying out, how long, Lord? Over and over, we have people crying out saying, how long, Lord? How long until you give me a job? How long until you give me a spouse? How long until you give me a child? How long, Lord? How long? See, pain and injustice is wrapped up in a lot of different things. And I wonder if at this particular point in time, at some point, Joseph in his own mind is asking the question, how long? And what's interesting is when you look at the text, it says this, the how long is defined for it. It's two more years, two more years that Joseph labors in that prison cell. Until finally, God gives a dream to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh can't figure it out. He calls all the magicians, he goes, listen, guys, I've had this dream, I can't figure it out. And the cupbearer, now all of a sudden, he what? He remembers two years after Joseph interpreted it. Two years later, the cupbearer says, by the way, there's this guy that was in prison. His name is Joseph. When, we were, when you were mad at us and you threw us in prison, he interpreted two dreams. And what happened to me happened and what happened to the baker happened. Maybe this guy can go and he can interpret your dreams. So they cleaned him up, brought him out before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gave him the dream. And Joseph said, you know what? Here's the interpreter interpretation of the dream. God is the one who gives interpretation. Seven years of blessing are coming and there's going to be seven years of famine come. What are you going to do? Pharaoh being the smart guy that he did said basically this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in charge. You're a wise man. There's no doubt the spirit of the living God is in you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in charge. No one will be higher than you. I'm in charge, but you're basically going to be second in command. And you're going to be the one who's going to walk through the seven years of famine and the seven years of blessing. And that's what he did. He put Joseph in charge. And then Joseph does what he's supposed to do. And right before the famine hits, he gets married. The Pharaoh gives him a wife. And he has two children, Manassas and Ephraim. And what I want to do is this. I want to point to you what Joseph named his children. Think through the context. There's been 13 years until he got in charge, second in command. And there's probably been maybe six, seven years until he had these children. And he has these children. And notice what it says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 52. He's named his two children. Notice what he names his second child, Ephraim. He says the second son he named Ephraim and he said this, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Isn't that an interesting way for him to describe his life? God has allowed me to bear fruit in the land of my suffering. And all of the pain and all of the suffering, those 13 years of being held captive, being in prison, all of those 13 years, the injustice, all of those years, what God has done, he has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So what does that teach you and I this morning? That every twist and turn in Joseph's life, if you will, no matter how bad it was, God was right there with him and helping him maneuver and walk through these difficult and challenging things. So now what I want to do is this. I want to go back to the story, and I want to pull out three principles of why I believe he found himself, Joseph found himself to be fruitful in the land of a suffering. And, And I want to go back to, to these blocks. You know, our our faith is built. Isaiah chapter 21 talks about a, a, a stone being laid in Zion. And that speaking of Jesus, that Jesus would be the cornerstone of our faith. And that's what we have. We have the cornerstone of our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The prophets of old spoke about the Messiah who would come. And Jesus would come. and and And, and our faith is built on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His teaching. And so what we do is we embrace Jesus, we embrace his life, we embrace his teaching, and we build our lives upon that truth. And when you look at 1 Peter, he talks about this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, you as people, as God's people, who have put your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus, you are now living stones. Because of our trust in Jesus, we are living stones, and we are being built nothing but a spiritual, a spiritual house. We are this house. We are living stones together. It's not just one, it's all of us. And we are all living stones. And so what we need to do is as we build our lives on the life, death, burial, and resurrection, we need to continue to build our lives in the land of suffering. We can't give up. What's interesting is this. When you look at the parable of the sower, remember the one of the ones that walked away? It was on rocky soil. And when the persecution and the difficulties and the challenges of life came, what does it say? They walked away. It wasn't enough for their life. So pain and suffering and trials and tribulation can rock our foundation. And what we need to do is make sure we are building on that solid foundation. And probably one of the most important ways that we build on that foundation is through pain and suffering. When we go through pain and suffering, don't we probably most reflect the nature and the character of God and who he is and what he's done? Aren't people watching you in your life and how you respond? So let's just walk back through the story. Three principles for us to build on that foundation as living stones. Number one, what do we learn from the life of Joseph? Number one, God wants us to be faithful wherever we're at. God wants us to be faithful no matter where we find ourselves. Genesis chapter 40, verse 2 through 4. What's interesting is, and notice how the author describes what has happened to Joseph. He says this. Remember, he's a prisoner right now. He's a prisoner with the cupbearer and the baker. He's a prisoner. And notice it says, Pharaoh was angry with two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. In the same prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended him. And notice those three words, confined, assigned, and attended. They're the three important verbs. Confined and assigned means this. It means he had absolutely no choice in the matter. He was confined to prison. He was confined by his brother. He was confined to all of these places. And he was assigned a position. All of these things were given. He had absolutely no choice in how he would respond. Either do this or you're going to die. But notice the way that he served. The next verb is that he attended to them. In other words, it reveals his his motivation and work. What's interesting is when you look at this word and you look how it's used elsewhere, it's used in 1 Kings as a priest attends to his priestly duties to the people and to God. It's used in such a way as a a servant knowing that they are underneath someone and they are serving, they're motivated to serve, they're motivated to work in such a way that it builds this other person up. Notice that is what? Joseph did. He attended them, and so I wonder if Joseph knew and understood that behind all of this stuff, God is still with me. He's bringing blessing me into my life. He's giving me kindness. He's giving me favor through the warden, through all of these things, these other people, and I am going to serve. I'm going to serve the warden. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. God wants us to be faithful in the midst of pain and suffering. Philippians chapter two says this. It's speaking of Jesus, it's speaking of Jesus who did not shy away from the cross. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus went to the cross, left the glory, perfection of heaven, and went in. What did he do? He became a servant. Philippians chapter 2 is a great reminder of the service attitude, heart that you and I are to have in the midst of our pain and suffering. We're to look out for the interests of others. And I think that's what Joseph did. In the midst of his pain and suffering, he's looking out for the interests of other people. Notice there's no self-pity. We don't see any self-pity there. Uh, we don't see him talking about how the circumstances of life have really been bad. Uh, you don't see him just trying to get along, bearing with them. And you don't see him give up. We see him actually attending to serving. I wonder if his heart and his mind, he recognizes that God's ultimately in control of all the Sith. He is with me. He's showing me favor. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to be faithful. Which reminds us, in the midst of our pain and suffering, don't give up. Continue to be faithful. Continue to move forward. Continue to serve. Find ways for us to look out for the interests of other people. This is the lesson we learned from Joseph. I think there's a second principle we learned here. And it's this. Sometimes when we, we're in the midst of bad things... We close ourselves off to people. We close ourselves off to hurting people. We don't want to hear what's going on in the lives of other people. And what's interesting, what Joseph did? Joseph engaged in other people. He engaged in their suffering. A chapter of 40, verse 7, he, it shows that, that he's looking out for the interests of others. Think back to the situation Joseph is in. in he's in prison. The baker's there and the cupbearer's there. And all of a sudden, the day changes. The day changes. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 7. Notice what Joseph he says. Why are your faces, what, so sad today? Isn't that interesting? Well, Why are your faces so sad today? In other words, I've been attending you. I've been taking care of you. I've been watching over you. I know what's going on in your life. We have this relationship, this compassion. I'm seeing, and all of a sudden, I notice there's something different about you today. Do you have those kinds of relationships with people where you know what's going on in other lives and you know what's going and you can recognize sadness in a person's life? That's what Joseph does. He realizes what's going on. He saw something in their lives. Just as the warden and all of these other people were looking after Joseph, He saw that there was something different between these two individuals. In other words, there was a sadness deep inside of them that bothered them. The dreams that they had actually bothered them. See, I think it's really easy sometimes when pain and suffering comes into our life that we separate ourselves off and we close ourselves off. We close ourselves off from being a conduit of comfort and peace to other people. Uh, Connor gave an illustration of that song by Mercy Me. There's another illustration that I want to give you. Um, many of us are familiar with the, the songs, Come, Now is the Time to Worship, Hope of the Nations, Faith, the One We've sang. a lot of those songs, uh, Refiners, Fire. And the author of those songs is a guy by the name of Brian Dorkson and his son Isaiah uh, suffers from a fragile X syndrome. It's a genetic condition which results in physical, intellectual, emotional, and behavioral limitations. In his book that he wrote, Make Love, Not War, he reflects on the day when he received the medical information about this condition. And he is ready to basically give it all up. His heart is broken and yet, God broke through all that he was feeling and experiencing and taught him a lesson. And this is what he says After receiving the test results, I stumbled around our property weeping, confused, heartbroken. We'd been there. At one point, I lifted my voice to heaven and I handed him my resignation. God, I am through being a leader, a worship leader, and a songwriter. I wanted to give up. Don't we all feel that way at times? When I was able to be quiet enough, I sensed God holding out his hand and inviting me. He says this, Will you trust me? Will you go after with your broken heart? For who will relate to my people who are heartbroken, if not those like you who are acquainted with disappointment? He's saying, listen, yeah, you're you're heartbroken, but will you trust me and will you use your heartbrokenness to go to other people and be a conduit of grace and mercy in their life? In other words, I want to redeem that brokenness. I want to redeem that situation. I want to redeem that and use it for my honor and glory to bring comfort and peace to other people. And then he said these words, I used to think people were most blessed by our great victories, but now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they have walked through the deepest valley. The world lifts up the victorious and the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted. Is it not through our pain and suffering, probably more than anything else, that reflecting the nature and the character of God, when people look at our lives in the midst of the difficulties and challenges, what are they seeing? Are they seeing brokenness? Yeah, that's okay. Are we seeing us give up? Or we're seeing us hanging on to the Lord, contending for the faith, for the nature and the character of God. Even though I don't understand it, Lord, I'm going to hang on to you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to bring peace and comfort into my life. Paul, a guy who suffered immensely over and over in the Bible, you can read that. Notice what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about how God uses the brokenness of our lives. He says this. He starts out this letter, praise be to the God of Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice what He says: the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. All comfort. What God says: Listen, I, I'm the God. I'm the Father of compassion. And wherever you would find yourself today, I, I can be that comfort. I can be that peace. I can be that one who will come alongside of you and help you. And as I give you comfort, I want you then to be a conduit of comfort to other people. I want to use what I've taught you to bring comfort and peace in the lives of other people. So the Spirit of God comes into us, brings us comfort, and you and I become conduits of God's peace and comfort. Doesn't Philippians say, I can do all things through Christ? Who gives me strength? Yeah, you can't do it in and of yourself. But the Spirit of God through the Word of God through the people can work in your life so that we can become that conduit of peace. God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be object of comfort. And the last thing I want to deal with, and then we're done, is this. And it's really simple. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust God over and over. When we look at the story of Joseph, we see how he trusted God. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 39. It says this, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him, showed him kindness and favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Over and over in the account, it says the Lord was with him. And by the way, notice how the Lord was with him. How was the Lord with him? The Lord was with him in showing him favor and kindness from the warden. In other words, Joseph is being faithful over here. Joseph's doing what he's supposed to be doing, and God is giving him favor through another person, through the warden. In other words, God is working ways, in mysterious ways, that we don't think or imagine. We sometimes think that God has forgotten us, and he doesn't know what's going on, and yet God is going through this whole story, ministering, serving to Joseph. What What does trust look like? In this narrative, real quickly, four things. Number one, trust that God will reveal himself to you. Trust that God will reveal himself to you in the midst of your pain and suffering. Corey Ten Boom, the gal that I mentioned, she said this. Her sister said this. By the way, they were in a concentration camp. You, you ought to read the story. It's an incredible story. Her sister, Corey Ten Boom's sister, said this. There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. God is right there with you. God is right there. So how did God reveal himself? How was he with Joseph? In Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, it says this, Do not interpretations belong to the Lord. When Joseph was in prison, remember the cupbearer and the baker, they each had this, um, this dream. And, and when Joseph says, Do not interpretations belong to the Lord, isn't that a statement of faith? Isn't it a statement of faith? Remember when he correctly interpreted the dream about the baker and the cupbearer? Remember what he said? He said to the cupbearer, you're going to go well. Things are going to go well with you, right? And didn't they go well? Because he knew and accepted it by faith. Interpretations belong to the Lord. Why didn't he say things were going to go well for the baker? Because he knew they weren't going to go well for him. In other words, he's seeing here interpretations belong to the Lord. And he knew that God would reveal himself to him in a mighty powerful way. He's not going to give up his faith. In the midst of all this, he's still going to trust the Lord for who he is. God had and would reveal himself to him. Do not interpretations belong to the Lord? So we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God and in order for God to reveal himself to us. God will reveal himself to us in the midst of our pain and suffering. Second thing is this. I hate to say it, but people are going to let you down. That's just simple. People will let you down. Family members will let you down. People will let you down. Will you trust that in the midst of being let down that God is right there with you? That we, we don't always have to run and try and fix everything because sometimes things can't be fixed. Maybe there's a, a, a misinterpretation or, or maybe people don't understand you or we don't know exactly. But somehow, some way the story's been twisted where you're experiencing some kind of injustice and human letdown. Will you trust the Lord that God is working in your life and their life in such a way that you can trust Him for who He is? God is going to be with us. We need to trust Him when uh, people let us down. Number three is this. Do you trust the Lord for His timing? I wonder how many times Jophus was wondering, is today the day? Is today the day? Am I going to get out today? There's a man by the name of Raymond Edmonds. He was the president at Wheaton College. And that's what he says. He, he talks about timing and God's delay. It says this, Delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instruments. What's interesting is this when you go back and look at the narrative, there is a gap between two chapters. They call it white space. And it talks about sometime and sometime. And this gap in the circumstances is this the gap was that God left Joseph in prison for two more years. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until this dream of Pharaoh that actually God brought all of this back together again. So Joseph is languishing in prison for two more years. Pharaoh finally has this dream after two years. The cupbearer says, by the way, when I was in prison, there was this guy who was there, and he interpreted a dream. He brought them all together by a divine appointment after two years, and that is when God finally brought this story to fruition and allowed him to come out. Are you waiting on large timing? Sometimes the Lord's timing is hard and it's difficult. Joseph had to wait for the Lord's timing. Trust that God is with us. Trust that uh, he'll be with us when people let us down. Trust him for the timing. And last thing is this, do you trust that God is sovereign? you trust that God is sovereign even in the difficulties and the challenges of life, even in the bad things that happen in our life? Do you trust him for those things? In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the end of the story, notice what? Joseph says, Jacob the father has died, and no doubt the brothers are thinking, okay, our father's died, what's going to happen to us? Is Joseph going to get mad now? Is he going to retaliate against us? Notice what he says in Genesis chapter 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many's lives. He doesn't say, you know, Joseph doesn't say that, you know, my brother's maliciously, Took me and and sold me into slavery. And then God worked a miracle and created all of this stuff and created something different here. He's saying, listen, you as human instruments, you intended this for bad. God working behind the scenes was intending this for ultimately for good. And that is the saving of many lives, not just for you, but for a nation. And in the midst of difficulties and the pain and suffering of life, do you trust that God is working? And it's hard. And it's difficult. And we want answers. We want to know the wise. We want to know all of those things. And sometimes God just doesn't give it. Not in this lifetime. Are we willing to trust a good and loving God for who he is and what he would have for our lives? That's what Joseph learned. So if you're there, if you're in the midst of pain and suffering, don't give up. Continue to serve faithfully. Be kind. Be good. Allow the Lord, to use you in the lives of other people, the pain and suffering that you've gone through. And trust the Lord for his timing. Trust the Lord for he will work in your life for his good and for his glory. Don't allow pain and suffering to demolish your foundation. Even if you don't understand it, trust him. Father, this is not an easy topic. And a lot of people walk away from the faith when they are hit with the difficulties and challenges of life. And Father, I know these people. I've been around them for a long time. I know the pain and suffering in the lives of many people in this room. It's the loss of a spouse. It's the loss of a son or a daughter. It's not experiencing something that that you would have us to do with being married, having a child, Lord, loss of a job, loss of a future. Father, I pray that we would not give up, that we would be able to hang in there and trust you. Father, I pray that we would love each other, that we would care for each other, that we would offer peace and comfort to each other, and we would build up each other as a body of faith because we are your living stones. Father, may we bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.